Sacred Space. So welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space here in West Limit 102. So my name is John Keeley, still joined in studio by Shane and Shane Ambrose. And this morning, Shane has um, got another guest to introduce to us and to chat with this morning. Shane, would you like to introduce your guest, please? Sure, John. Thank you very much. Uh, on this week's programme, we are delighted to welcome to the programme uh, Dr. Patrick Kenny. Patrick is a senior lecturer in the College of Business at Dublin Institute of Technology. And one of the reasons we have Pat on this morning's programme is because Pat has a in- keen interest in the history of Catholicism Ireland and blogs about a particular um, Jesuit chaplain that uh, was uh, involved in the First World War. And of course, as our listeners are aware, we are currently in the middle of the decade of centenaries. And um, we've had the centenaries of, of course, 1916 last year. But of course, we're also commemorating the centenary of the Great War or the First World War from 1914 to 1918. And in particular, the Irish involvement in that war, because of course, for so many years, it was a forgotten war because of the fight for independence. So, uh, Pat, welcome to the programme this morning. How are you keeping? Good. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be with you. Now, Pat, I have a question for you. How, what's your own background? And, where, and what, what, you know, just tell, tell, tell our listeners a small bit about yourself. Okay, well, um, as you said, I'm a lecturer in business, uh, so I suppose it's a it's an unusual thing for somebody with that background to be interested in a Jesuit chaplain from the war, but um, I suppose I have a great interest in history, great interest in biographies, great interest, I suppose, in reading about the lives of saints, because I, I find that quite interesting. And um, about seven years ago, a friend had recommended that I read um, an old book by Alfred O'Rahilly, who, uh, when he wrote it in the 1920s, was a professor of mathematical physics down in UCC in Cork, and it was a biography of Father Willie Doyle. Um, I live in Dunleary. Willie Doyle was from Dawkey, which is about two miles away. And I never heard of him. Um, but a friend said I'd really like the book. So I found a copy, tracked down a copy. And I have to say, when I read it, my mouth was open in astonishment, really, at uh, this man and, and what he did, uh, at his personality, but particularly at his courage and his generosity. And um, I was a bit amazed. I'd never heard of him before. And I did a bit of research, and there wasn't a lot about him online. And I suppose a few months later, I decided to set up a blog, um, I suppose, about Willie Doyle, giving quotes from his writings or talking about anniversaries in his life. And uh, then with the 100th anniversary, the opportunity came up to produce a book of his writings. Uh, Veritas asked me to produce that, so that just came out in August of this year. So that's a little bit about me. Exactly. Excellent. Thanks a million. Now, just as you mentioned at the book, we're just going to give it a bit of a plug on the programme. Uh, it's called To Raise the Fallen. It's a selection of the war letters, prayers and spiritual writings of Father Willie Doyle, SJ. And as Pat said, he is the editor of it. Now, for those in Limerick, because I went looking for it myself in the last week, um, it's available in Easton's on O'Connell Street. They have a number of copies in and O'Mahony's and the Abbey Bookshop have both got uh, the book on order as well. So it will be in. But in terms of the man himself, himself, Pat. Can you tell us a small bit about Father Willie Doyle and why, in particular, this particular Jesuit chaplain, if you like, captured your imagination? Well, to answer the second part of your question first, I mean, I, 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 at one level I don't have an answer, and another, at another level I do. I suppose at one level 
he captured my imagination because he was so heroic and because he was so generous throughout all of his life. And we might talk about some examples of that later on. At another level, I don't have an explanation for it because I've read the lives of many people, many heroic people, many generous people, many great people. Um, and they haven't necessarily captured me in the way that Willie Doyle has. But I have to say, having spoken to many people over the years, um, it, there's a pattern there that when people encounter this man, there's something about him, there's a certain charism, there's a certain personality there, even 100 years after his death. So he is a very captivating figure. And um, many saints have been captivated by him as well, including Mother Teresa of Calcutta and others uh, who have adopted kind of some of his spiritual practices or being fascinated with him, including even the likes of Brendan Behan, who himself wouldn't necessarily have been a great fan of the church. Uh, he wrote about him in uh, his book, The Borsal Boy, and praised him. Um, and his writings were, were told, uh, a fascination for Brendan Behan. But a little bit about Willie Doyle himself. <clears throat> he was born in 1873 in Dawkey in County Dublin. Uh, he was the youngest of seven children. Um, out of the seven children, four of them pursued a religious vocation. One of his brothers uh, tried to become a priest for the Dublin Diocese, uh, but in fact he, he died, uh, I think, of a flu or a fever a week before his ordination. An older sister became a nun. In the, she was a sister of mercy and was based in Cove in Cork for most of her life. And then his, the sixth child, the one who was just above him in age, his brother Charlie, became a Jesuit. And I suppose it was his closeness with that elder brother that encouraged Willie to become a Jesuit. He was ordained in 1907, um, and coincidentally he was ordained on the same day and in the same ceremony as Blessed John Sullivan. So John Sullivan, the famous convert, uh, son of the Lord Chancellor, who was beatified just a few months ago. Uh, so the two of them were ordained together. So that's an interesting kind of coincidence there. Um, one thing I'd note about his studies and his time as a novice is uh, when he was in about the second year of a novitiate, the building he was in went on fire and he actually suffered from a complete nervous breakdown because of the experience of that fire. And he had to leave and go home for a while and there was a question mark of, over whether he would be allowed to come back to the Jesuits. And they did allow him back. That was an unusual thing for somebody who had health problems to be allowed back. Um, but the more unusual thing is that somebody who had that reaction to a fire in the building 20 years later has been transformed and is recognized by everybody who encounters him in the war as being a rock of strength and a source of great serenity and peace. And so we see in his life a very radical transformation in his personality and in his mental outlook. And I think that's important for people as well, and I think that can speak to a lot of people as well, that you know, a man who had, had those nervous or anxious difficulties completely was able to put them behind him and, and be transformed. As you said, he, it's an in, it was an interesting one, just if I can cut in there for a second. Yes. The, the relationship with his brother Charlie in particular, uh, Charlie was the, was the brother that went on and also became a, a Jesuit, wasn't it? Um, Correct, yes. yes. Is, did, did Charlie write a book on, as well about his brother? He did, and I suppose to point out there, there's a Limerick connection there as, as well, because Charlie was based in Limerick for uh, quite a bit of his time. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he, he actually taught there in a school. Um, and I think Willie spent some time in Limerick, and if I'm not mistaken off the top of my head, I recall looking when the census records were released for one of the years, and I think he was in Limerick on the night of one of the census uh, collections, maybe it was 1911 or something like that, I think. Um, 
so there's a bit of a Limerick connection. But um, Charlie, yes, he wrote a book um, in 1939, and it was written anonymously, actually, and it's called Mary and God. Uh, so maybe some listeners have come across that book. The most famous one is the one by Alfred O'Reilly. But about 18, 19 years after that book came out, a simpler and more direct book called Mary and God was written. And that was actually written by the elder brother, Charlie. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted you there. You were saying, so he was ordained in 1907? Yes, he was ordained in 1907. He uh, then spent a bit of time uh, in Belgium, uh, then spent a year in Belvedere College. And then for uh, the next six or seven years, he was on the mission team in, in amongst the Jesuits. So basically, he was involved in going around the country and giving retreats and missions. And of course, back then, the parish mission was a much bigger thing uh, than we might know it today. Um, uh, and over that time, he gave 152 missions and retreats. He was in huge demand. Um, and the testimony that exists from parish priests or nuns or others who, ca- who came in contact with him during that time was of a man who had a profound impact on others. His, his presence, his words, but particularly his example, seemed to have a big impact. Um, during the missions, he didn't just stay in the church. He went out to find people, went out to meet people, so he could be found, for instance, on the streets at dawn, uh, wanting to speak to factory workers on their way to work, or if he was in a, a port town, in the port, trying to find the sailors when they come in late at night, trying to encourage them to come back to the church or to come to confession. So he had a very successful career as a, as a mission priest. Um, he once wrote that there was, in his experience at that point at least, nobody who he tried to reach out to who he wasn't able to bring back to the church somehow or other. So he had this, this ability to reach people who were alienated from the church, um, which seems to be a special gift or, or charism that, mm. that he had. He was also quite busy at that time uh, in writing, um, so he wrote a number of pamphlets about priesthood and about vocations. Uh, these were best-selling pamphlets at the time, um, some of them certainly selling in the hundreds of thousands throughout the first half of the 20th century. Um, he regularly got letters from convents uh, across the world, England, America, South Africa, Australia, saying that they had recruits uh, from people who'd read his pamphlets. And I also got a letter uh, a number of years ago from a retired priest in England who had been a soldier in the Second World War. And the army chaplain that he knew in the war gave him one of Willie Doyle's pamphlets on the priesthood and said, you might like to read that. And having read it, he decided to become a priest. And some years later, he met the chaplain again and he said, I want to thank you for giving me that pamphlet. It changed my life. It's because of that pamphlet that I became a priest. And the chaplain said, well, that's really interesting because I know at least 11 other soldiers to whom I gave that pamphlet who subsequently became priests. So Willie Doyle's writing had a huge impact, I think, on the church, an unknown and hidden impact mm. on the church throughout the first half of the, of the 20th century. In addition to his work on missions, he was also instrumental in founding the Poor Clares Convent in Cork City um, and raising money for the foreign missions. And that was something that was very close to his heart. He had wanted to become a missionary in Africa, had volunteered for that, um, had actually gone and learnt the, the local language in the Congo, and there are booklets uh, of him kind of translating catechisms or translating the New Testament and trying to learn the language. But he ultimately wasn't chosen for that work. 
it's it's it sounds like he had a very uh, busy and varied um you know career as as a jesuit and as uh, you know in in terms of work that he was doing even before the outbreak of the war um and i suppose one of the questions is um that would come to mind is you know how or what way or why did he volunteer to become a chaplain on the outbreak of the war in 1914 okay so I suppose there's a number of theories as to why he might have wanted to do that. I suppose one is that he um, wanted to be a missionary and wanted to go to Africa, and that option, he wasn't chosen for that for whatever reason. Um, And maybe this was another way of fulfilling that missionary ambition. A second motivating factor may have been, and it's not something I discussed earlier, was he had a great affection for working men. He wanted to reach out to ordinary workers, and I suppose at a time 100 years ago, the church might have been a little more clerical, perhaps, than we might understand it to be today. Um, retreats were seen as something for priests and nuns, or for maybe the middle class or well-off, not something for the ordinary worker. And he, agree- he had a great concern for the spiritual welfare of the ordinary worker. And he travelled around Europe and actually wrote a booklet about the importance of retreats for working men. And um, as an aside, he convinced the Jesuits to set up a retreat house for working men, he was chosen to be the first director, and they found the premises. But for some reason, it was burnt down by the suffragettes. So it never got off the ground during his life. It did after his death. But he had this love for the ordinary worker, and that's the type of person he would have met in the war. But I think ultimately what he really wanted to do is he had a, I mean, he had a great love for the lives of saints and, and martyrs, and a lot of people at that time would have been inspired in this way. And he, he wanted to go and minister, I suppose, at the peripheries, but also he, in a sense, wanted to suffer in reparation for the sins of priests. And we have his notes where he, he talks a lot about that, you know, his desire to work hard for God, but it's also his desire out of his uh, ardent love for God and for others uh, to suffer and even to offer his life for others. Um, and when he went to war, he went knowing that there was a real possibility that he would die, and he went, in a sense, offering his life to God, for the sake of others, and also in reparation for the sins of priests. And he 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 he, he volunteered in 1914, but it wasn't he wasn't appointed chaplain until November 1915, and he was appointed to join the Eighth Battalion of the Royal Irish Fusiliers. And he and at that time he chaplains in the British Army held well he held the rank of captain. And it's interesting just looking at. Um, the, 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 some of the quotes that you had from some of his letters, I, I, there was a couple that jumped out at me. And there was one in particular about uh, a Protestant officer said, Father Doyle never rests. Night and day he is with us. He finds a dying or dead man, does all, comes back smiling, makes a little cross and goes out to bury him and then begins all over again. And then there was another one, I suppose, which, uh, uh, which is quoted in the book and it's um, from a non-Catholic soldier. And it said, Father Doyle is a splendid fellow. He's so brave and cheery, and he's a wonderful influence over others and can do what he likes with the men. I was out the other evening with a brother officer and met him. After a few words, I said, This is a pal of mine, Padre. He's a Protestant, but I think you'd like he would like your blessing. Father Doyle looked at my chum for a moment with a smile and then made the sign of the cross on his forehead. When he had passed on, my pal said, that is a holy man. Did you see the way he looked at me? It went right through me. And when he crossed my forehead, I felt such an extraordinary sensation. 
And it's 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 you know it's it's quotes like that I suppose that that bring it bring us bring him to life for us in in many respects. And I suppose here I should mention, Pat, one of the things that you do uh, when you have a spare moment is you actually maintain a blog about Father Willie Doyle, which is called FatherDoyle.com. And one of the things that goes up in the blog each day is a quote from one of his his writings, from one of his letters, or one of his reflections, uh, which I would highly recommend to people to have a look at. But in terms of his service on the front, um, uh, Pat, what are the things I suppose that that stand out that from what people have said about him? Well, I, I think the two things that stand out, um, or there's many things that stand out, but the two that stand out to me, I suppose, are heroism and also generosity. And um, I mean, he felt fear. He knew what fear was, and he describes in some of his letters uh, how he puts on a brave face. Um, but he never showed the fear to the soldiers, and he was that rock of strength for them. Uh, but ultimately, it was generosity, because if you remember, he, he was from a fairly comfortable background. Um, his, he grew up with servants in the house and so on. Um, and he goes out here to really some atrocious conditions. Um, now, as he had the rank of captain. He could have availed of certain luxuries, but one of the characteristics of Willie Doyle is that he shared all the deprivations of the, of the men. Uh, so certainly he wasn't that in the, at the front line all the time. They did have time away from the front line. But when he was there, he was with the men. He was sleeping in the dugouts with them. Rats climbing over him at night time and vermin and all sorts of things like that. So for me, generosity and heroism. And just one example of generosity, uh, and there's so many, I mean, even his offering of his life and dying while rescuing wounded soldiers an act of generosity, but almost a more heroic one, in a sense, that really jumps out at me, is what he did for the doctor that he worked very closely with, a Dr. Buchanan. And on one occasion, the particular dugout they were in, which is like really a hole in the wall of the trench where they, where they kind of slept, um, and on one occasion they were there in the dugout, the floor was damp as it often was, and for whatever reason they had no bedding, they had no blankets or anything, and the doctor was sick, he had a flu or a fever or some illness. And uh, Willie Doyle realized that the men needed a doctor, and uh, Willie Doyle wasn't sick. So he insisted that the doctor had to get better and needed sleep. And Willie Doyle lay face down on the damp ground in the mud, essentially, and insisted that the doctor sleep for a few hours on his back so at least one of them could get some rest. Now, that, to me, is an astounding uh, example of, of generosity. Um, and in fact, he had said to some soldiers that if he survived the war, his intention was to go to a leper colony to minister to the lepers. So the sufferings of the trenches didn't turn him off or didn't dampen his zeal. So for me, heroism and generosity. Mm. And another thing you mentioned, I suppose, you talk about the Protestant soldiers and so on. His concern for everyone is, is another thing that really jumps out. Certainly his concern for the Catholic soldiers particularly those his concern for, for the non-Catholic or Protestant soldiers. And they mourned him every bit as much as the Catholics did after he died. Um, there's another famous story told of when he went to help a, a wounded Protestant soldier. And the soldier said to him, uh, Father, I don't belong to your flock. And Father Doyle's response was, No, but you belong to my God. So we saw everyone as, as a child of God and as somebody that he, he wanted to serve including German prisoners who he insisted should be looked after with care and not treated roughly. So for me, they're the standout uh, characteristics. And also, I suppose, joy. 
a very joyful man, very happy man, mm. and always playing practical jokes. You know, that's another thing that we can't forget about him. Which, which is an interesting thing because. Um, I suppose one of the reasons we're talking about Father Willie Doyle is the fact that his Jesuit superiors um, ignored his request that if anything should happen to him that his personal papers would be um, would be destroyed. So his 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 diaries and his his papers were kept, and the, and um, his own personal spirituality, I suppose, to us would seem to be a very um, challenging one. I think would be a fair way of describing it, would it, Pat? Yes, I suppose so. I mean, I suppose looking at it in the context of its time, uh, it wouldn't have been too unremarkable at at a certain level. Um, A lot of his private diaries were published in uh, that book by Alfred O'Rahilly. I probably wouldn't have published everything he did, but that was his decision. Um, But that book was a bestseller at the time. It went through at least five editions, uh, was translated into multiple languages, inspired so many people inspired saints, uh, inspired even Blessed John Sullivan, who in his own private notes kept, kept some of the writings of Father Doyle, his own some prayers and, and sayings of Father Doyle. Um, but his own spirituality was, I suppose, a very traditional um, and, and very vigorous uh, Ignatian or Jesuit spirituality. And he felt that he had a particular calling to live a hard life. It's not something he advocated for everyone else. Uh, he's very clear in his writings that things that are legitimate for others were not legitimate for him. He just felt in his own prayer uh, and what he discerned that God wanted something more from him. And uh, he was very well educated. He traveled a lot. He, he consulted with a lot of people. And his superiors and confessors seemed to have approved of this. So he, he tried to live a hard life. He, he tried not to give in to any weaknesses or, or desires for pleasure that he had. Uh, but what's really fascinating is, of course, he's human, like all of us, mm. and he fails, like all of us, and he begins again, like all of us should. So his diaries are full of struggles to give up things, uh, fascinating struggles, for instance, to give up butter on his bread, which seems kind of simple, um, but you see this kind of drama uh, where he's really tempted this morning, really, really tempted to have butter on my bread but I, God wants me to give it up. You know, I feel I should offer, up it, as a, offer it up as a sacrifice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he, he records these kind of struggles, which I think for an ordinary person can be, can be a motivation. You know, uh, he was also very penitential. Um, uh, maybe we don't always understand that today as we should, but, I, you know, people were tougher 100 years ago than we are today. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. do things today that I think people 100 years ago wouldn't understand. So a lot of people today run marathons or do Ironman competitions or get up early and go to the gym, which mightn't be understandable to people 100 years ago. So in the context of its time, the life he lived was, was um, you know, it, it, it was heroic, I think, uh, but wasn't too out of the ordinary at a certain level. Of course, and the tragedy, of course, is that we are uh, in this month celebrating um, the 100th anniversary of his death, because, of course, on August 16th in 1917, during uh, one of the, uh, the the offences, Father Doyle was in the dreaded um, no-man's land trying to drag a wounded comrade back to safety. And in doing so, of course, he was, um, he was hit by a German shell. So unlike, I suppose, so many that he had um, ministered to, um, and, and, you know, in terms of giving them a Christian burial, he's, he, he was buried in a communal grave, um, in, 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 in Belgium, I think it is, um, on the Western Front. 
And I suppose, Pat, you know, looking at it now, we're 100 years later. So his classmate, if you like, uh, Father O'Sullivan, has been um, beatified. He's now Blessed John. Um, what would you say um, Father Willie kind of gives, uh, offers to us as, as an example 100 years later in Ireland of 2017? Well, I, I think he offers a lot. Um, I mean, I, I would say Willie Doyle was, to a certain extent, acted like a bridge. You know, we hear a lot of talk in politics today about building walls versus building bridges. I think Willie Doyle was ultimately a bridge builder. So one of the things we didn't have time to talk about was his care for the poor mm. when he was a young boy. Mm. He grew up in a very comfortable background, but he, he was renowned for his care of the poor, even as a boy. So he built a bridge between that world of privilege and the poor. Um, as a priest, he built a, wor- a bridge between, uh, I suppose, a cl- the clerical um, context of his time and his care and concern for the ordinary working person. And in the trenches, he built bridges between Catholics and Protestants. A um, hundred years later, I think his life is very inspiring and his personality and his cheerfulness is very inspiring for people who have maybe become alienated from the church. And, you know, we all know that the self-inflicted wounds within the church today. And here we have in Willie Doyle one who lived the priesthood to the full because the gospel tells us that there's no greater love than to lay down your life for others. And that's what Father Willie Doyle did on the 16th of August, 1917, when ultimately he laid down his life. But he did it so many other times where he was willing to lay down his life and went out into danger to help and to rescue others. So he is a heroic example um, that gives us a role model. And we need positive role models, um, very important. Uh, and Pope Benedict, in his letter to the church in Ireland about seven years ago, he said that we should learn from our saints. You know, remember the rock from which you have been hewn. Um, and we have many great examples in Ireland, but I think Willie Doyle is one of those examples. And for me, it's very significant that in July of this year, Pope Francis introduced a new law or a new motu proprio outlining a new path for beatification and canonization. So traditionally, there was the path of what might be called confessors and the path of martyrs. And the martyrdom traditionally was for those who died for the faith. But there have always been another category of martyr who laid down their lives, but didn't lay down their lives necessarily for the faith, but did it out of charity. So two examples of those, I suppose, one is St. Maximilian Kolbe, oh, who mm-hmm. died in order to help, in place of a, of a father of a family who was going to be killed by the Nazis, and also St. Damien of Molokai, who died by going to a leper colony and, and contracting leprosy himself. Uh, I think Willie Doyle fits into that category very, very well, because he did offer up his life to save others. Um, And I suppose another thing that resonates in Ireland of today is the fact that he clearly offered up his life in reparation for the sins of priests. And the last thing he wrote in his private diary on the 28th of July, 1917, exactly 10 years to the day after his ordination, was that he offered up his life and all of his hardships and discomforts in the trenches in reparation for the sins of priests. Um, so I think in many ways his life and his example and his offering speak to us today. Pat, listen, thank you very much for that this morning and thank you for joining us on Sacred Space. As I said at the top, Pat has written or edited a book of Father Willie's um, writings and prayers and spiritual writings. Um, I myself have got, just got it during the week and I have spent, um, I've dipped in and out of it and there's some lovely 
some lovely, lovely things in it. Would highly recommend for people to get it. And of and as well as that, um, he also maintains the blog fatherwilliedoyle.com, uh, and we will put uh, links up to those on our own blog and cross-link it um, uh, so that people have the connection as well. Um, Pat, thank you very much for telling us about Willie Doyle, and thank you for being Thanks. on Sacred Space. Delighted. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. So, so thank you very much indeed now, uh, Shane and, um, and Pat. And maybe we'll go for a, for a bit of music. And I think the bit of music we should go for in light of that, something comes to mind. Maybe the Holy Spirit decided that I, we should play this bit of music this morning. This one is entitled Come and Worship by Mark Forrest. So let's do this. Sacred Space.